Well, I, too, I was on that trip. I led that trip to Haiti. Um, it was about six years ago. And, and I, too, was so transformed by that trip that we, took, we have since taken multiple trips to Haiti. And one of our most recent trips, um, we were down there with Missions of Hope, and uh, I, I w- we were down there painting a house. And I was told that they um, were having a pastor's conference in a facility not far away from where we were painting this house. Like, I could just about see where it was. I knew where we were, and I knew it was in close proximity to this place where these pastors were having a conference. And I had such a desire in me to go and just be a part of that. Like, it it was a supernatural draw for me to go and be there. I just, I was like, if I die... Before I get there, I'm still going to try to get there. I need to be there. I need to experience it. I need to witness it. For some reason, God has impressed upon my heart that I just need to go and I need to see this. Um, I'm probably not going to be able to understand what they're saying because it'll be in Haitian Creole, but that's okay. I just want to be there. I feel like God is just pulling me there, and I have to go. So I talked to our, uh, our leader, our group leader, and I'm like, hey, you know, I really I want to go over to that pastor's conference. Okay, well... Um, maybe we can take a bus over there later. You know, once we get doing this stuff, then maybe we can, you know, we'll, we'll get the bus to take you around over there or something, something. Okay. So I get, I get a little impatient, you know, because it's been three and a half minutes and we still haven't left yet. So, and I'm like, you know, it, it's actually been a, a while. We've been painting this house and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, okay, this is good. I need to be over there. You know, let's paint some more, you know, but then, so I go back and I'm like, okay, it's getting close to lunchtime now. Can you know, I'm like a little kid. Can, can I go? I want to go. Please, can I go over there? You know, and, and yeah, yeah, we'll, in just a little while after lunch, we'll, you know. So I look at, at, uh, at one of my buddies. I said, look, hey, I'm about to disappear. I'm going over there. So when people start to look for me, that's where I'll be. If you're wondering where I'm going to be, I'm going to be over there. So I start, like, everybody's eating food. I, I wolf down my food, you know, and, and everybody's kind of eating and hanging out and stuff, and I just, whoop, I'm gone. I do the disappearing act, you know. I'm, I'm ghosting everybody. It's whoop, I'm gone. And I start hiking out through, and it's kind of like, in Haiti, a lot of times, it's kind of like desert terrain. There's, like, little bushes and stuff, but it's mostly, like, dirt, compacted dirt and sand and stuff. And we were in close proximity to a beach, so uh, there was sand there, too, and, and all this kind of stuff. So I'm trekking through there. I kind of know where it is, you know. And, and, and then I come up, and there's a gate. And I'm like, uh, not a gate, excuse me, a fence. There's a fence running between me and this place. So I know that the ocean is down that way. And the place that I'm going is over there. So at the very least, I can go into the ocean. Unless the, gate, the fence runs into the ocean, I can go around the fence in the ocean like I'm crossing the border, right? So I can, I can at least swim to where I need to get to. But I, I go, and I'm, I'm walking down through there, right? And, and this, it was kind of cool, actually. I start praying to God. I said, God, um, if you want me to go over there, I pray that you would open a door for that to happen. I, pray, I literally, I, I was walking, I prayed that. I promise I prayed that. I'm not making this up to make the story sound better. I promise I prayed that. So I'm walking along, and sure enough, <laughs> sure enough, the gate, there's a, I run upon a gate. I come, a, come around a little bend there, come around some trees, and there's a gate. And it's open <laughs> just wide enough for me to slip through. It was so cool. It was really cool. I was like, I started crying. 
I, I mean, because I had just prayed that, and I saw a gate open. I asked God to open a door. He literally opened a door within two minutes of me praying that. I mean, I, I'm not making this up, y'all. I'm, I'm not telling you a lie just to make it sound good. I mean, I would get struck by lightning or something up here if I did that. So, I mean, it was so cool, though. I prayed that, and then I come around and go look through some trees. Sure enough, there's a gate, and it's open about like that. So I go over there to this pastor's conference, right? It's quite a trek, actually. It's a lot longer, uh, a lot further than I thought it was going to be. Um, I thought it'd take me, you know, 15, 20 minutes to get there. You know, more like 35, 45 minutes, I'm still walking. I'm like, wow, that's a lot farther than I thought it was. Um, but anyway, so I got up to uh, the pastor's conference, and this is what it looked like. It was just covered up with Haitian pastors. They were training them. And, and when I look at that picture, it stirs something inside of me. It really does. Um, the guy that was talking actually was speaking in English, so that was really cool. I knew what they were saying, and they were having a translator translate it into Haitian Creole for them. And, and, and these people, I don't know how long they had been there, but I know it had been hours. And, and look at the benches that they're sitting on. I mean, that's not the most comfortable place to sit, but they were sitting there, and they were listening and man, I was drawn into that. There is something so special about being in the presence of other believers that believe and think and are as passionate as you are about the gospel of Jesus Christ that it, man, it just unifies you. It draws you together. Like it takes people on opposite ends of the spectrum in life and just puts them together in a unique way and they have this unshakable bond. I mean, you can take two people that even a lot of times have two completely different theology on things and you put them in the same room together and man, if they're really believers, they'll just bond. They'll just be tightly knit together. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it's supposed to happen. And when I, when I was there and I sat on this back little bench thing, and, and, and well, this was pretty cool too. Um, the guy, <laughs> there was a guy sitting behind me. He actually knew who I was, which was really kind of cool. He came up to it, me and introduced himself, and I was like, holy smokes, that's really weird. You know who I am. Yeah, I wasn't even supposed to be here. I, guess, I mean, I was the only white guy in the room, so you can tell that. So I kind of I stood out a little bit, but... Um, but anyway, it was really cool being there. And, and, and the bond that you feel with other believers when, it, when you're just passionate about the gospel of Christ, man, it just it pulls you together. And that's the way that it's supposed to be. What I think happens a lot of times, though, is that we let other things creep into our lives and it creates separation. And we forget about the fact that we're passionate about the gospel of Christ. And because he is number one in our lives then it should unify us and not separate us. Am I right about that? That that's the way it's supposed to be. What I see is a lot of separation between people that are supposed to be Christ followers. Even people within the same church, they, try to, they, they, they say that they're, they're, they're following Christ and being obedient to Christ, but there's actually separation there. There's actually something they let creep in to separate them, and, and they find themselves at war with each other almost. There's a little bit of a tug of war there going in two separate directions. But as Christ is the head, we're supposed to be following him, following his direction, following his Holy Spirit. Therefore, we will be unified together heading in the same direction. And 
I'm not going to be long tonight because I just, I, I, I told them not even put the scripture up on the screen because it's not very long scripture. But I, I, I am passionate about a book called 12 Ordinary Men by John MacArthur. If you want to borrow it from me, you can, but it's, it's loaned out right now, so you have to wait till it comes back to me, okay? It's a phenomenal book, and it's, it's about the 12 followers of Jesus Christ, the apostles. Apostle just means the ones who were sent, right? So that's what it means, that they're, they're the ones who were sent, the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. So it's about them. It gives their story. It takes the bits and pieces of Scripture, kind of puts them together in a cohesive manner so that you can, you can read and you can understand about the apostles. And it's really cool. It's just... It's a cool way to look at it. It's a cool perspective. One of the very first books I read in ministry was 12 Ordinary Men by John MacArthur, who happens to be like my hero in the faith or whatever. But, um, so in this book, he starts talking about people, these disciples, and who they are. And, and you know, Don talked about Nathaniel last week. You start looking at these disciples and who they are, and you see, man, when Jesus came into their lives... It wasn't just a little transformational. It was a lot transformational for these guys. They went from not knowing who Jesus was to finding Jesus, finding out who he was, to following him and taking his message all the way to the point of them being willing to die for it. And all of them did except for one. To die for that faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, that's transformational. That's real transformation. And, that, and the bonding that they had going on, it was very transformational. And we don't always see that in some of the intricacies of Scripture. So I'd like to just point that out a little bit. Um, I'd like to, to point out two guys that were disciples of Jesus. Now, if you've been around me long, you've, you've probably heard me preach this message before. I may have preached it before in simple church. I don't know. But I think it's really cool when you look at the transformation that's happened with the, the disciples, of the apostles of Jesus, as you look at them and you look and see how they were transformed. So the first dude we're going to look at is, he's not, I mean, he wrote, you know, he wrote one of the gospels, so he's, he's, he's got his name in there, so obviously he's a pretty big deal. His name's Matthew, and everybody knows about Matthew, Levi, also known as Levi, who was a follower of Jesus, right? And everybody knows that Matthew was a... Tax collector. Okay, good. I'm glad two of you knew that. That's good. So in Matthew chapter 9, he's writing his own story. So we're going to look at what, what he says. It's really short. You can just listen to me. You look it up if you want to. That's cool too. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a, name, a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Now, you read that passage of Scripture, that's one, one verse of Scripture, and you go, okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah, this dude sitting in his tax collector's booth. Jesus comes walking by. He says, follow me. Matthew gets up and follows him, leaving his tax collector's booth. Now, what you don't understand is some of the backstory, and if you look at some of the, the Greek meaning behind some of the words that are used to describe Matthew is that Matthew's not just an average tax collector. He's like a regional manager, if you will, of tax collectors. So, so he's like got more money than the average, average tax collector based on his title and where he is as a tax collector. So Matthew has a decent income. When I say a decent income, he's doing pretty well. 
I mean, he, he's not making it rain up in there, but he's, he's doing good. You know what I mean? And, 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 and when he gets up, when Jesus comes walking by and that dude gets up, you know what happens? Somebody else is going to take his place. He gave up his job in an instant. His job, think about what he did. So he was a tax collector, so he took up taxes for the Romans. The Romans were over the Jewish people at this point in time. They, they were controlling them, and they were paying their taxes to the Romans. So Matthew is taking up money, a lead tax collector, and he is sharing what he has taken from his own people, his own Jewish people, and splitting it with the Roman government. So it's no wonder that people didn't like tax collectors. Am I right? I mean, we don't like tax collectors right now. You know, April comes around and everybody hates the government, you know. But, but this is even worse because he's like one of them and he is sold out to the Roman rule and he's like on board with them. They have given him a job because they can trust him because he's so connected with the Romans who are basically oppressing the Jewish people at that point in time. He wouldn't be your best friend if you were a Jew. I got to go pay money to this dude? Every time I look at his face, I got to think about Romans oppressing us, and then I got to give him money? That's like double bad, you know? But because he had money, we all know this too, right? Because he had money and he had a good job, once that dude moves out, there's somebody else that's willing to take that job. They're willing to sell out, too, for the money. Am I right? So he gets up, and when he gets up, you got to think about this. Man, his whole life transformed in a second. He went from having money, being able to, to support himself and or his family, and, and all of a sudden, now he doesn't have an income coming in anymore. In a second. Now, what's really cool about Matthew is, he actually has an understanding, even though he's a tax collector, even though he looks like he sold out to the Jews, if you read his gospel account, you can see that he uses more references to the Old Testament than any of the other gospel accounts put together. He knows his Old Testament. He knows about the prophecies, and he knows uh, uh, about the things that are supposed to come, and he knows that there's supposed to be a Messiah somewhere in the future so I think when this dude encountered Jesus, I think he saw something in him. Maybe he had heard previous to this encounter. Maybe he had heard about Jesus and the things that he was doing. And maybe he was prepped and ready to go when Jesus said go. But I tell you this, when Jesus said come and follow me, he recognized the voice of God. And he got up in that second and he went. little side note for us in tonight's message is that knowing the voice of God is important. Am I right? And when God says, go, you go, because you are so in tune and so ready for that voice of God that you know it when it's him. You know when he's talking, and you know you better respond. It's important. His sheep know his voice. That's what God's word says. Here we see a man get up, leave his job, leave his source of income, leave his stability. He doesn't know where he's going to live. He doesn't know where he's going he doesn't know what he's about to do. All he knows is that he is following Jesus. That is reckless abandonment. You know what I mean? Like he is just going and, and following, and that's all he does. And that's really cool. It is. But in the list of disciples, we read about 
somebody else. If I flip over a page and look at Matthew chapter 10, he gives the list of disciples. First Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, Peter's brother, James, son of Zebedee, and John, John James's brother, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Now, the next to the last one, right before Judas Iscariot, is this dude called Simon the Zealot. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Simon. You know what I know about Simon? He was a zealot. You know? You know why I know that? Because it says Simon the Zealot in Matthew chapter 10, verse 3 and a half. So he, he's a zealot. Now, you may read over that and go, oh, he was zealous. You know what I mean? Like he was, he was, maybe he was fired up. You know what I mean? Like he was, you know, that's what they say about somebody that's really eager and anxious and all that. Oh, they're overzealous or whatever, right? Well, here, let me tell you what it means, okay? Um, a zealot was one of the political groups in the day. There were Sadducees, Pharisees, and Zealots, right? So they were, they were another political group, okay? Well, they all hated Roman rule. They all hated the fact that Romans had control over them. They despised it, as a matter of fact. But the zealots were even more zealous than anybody else because what would happen is they would try to do things to try to take out some of the Roman rule and authority that was over them. There was actually um, a group of zealots. They were called dagger men. And what they would do is that they would find a Roman soldier somewhere. They would wear cloaks or something like that to disguise themselves. And, and you know, some, some people are picturing Assassin's Creed, and this is kind of what it looks like right now. But, but like they would be covered up, and they would go and find a Roman soldier, and they would take a dagger, and while he was standing there you know, guarding something or whatever, they would come up behind him and stick a dagger right in his lungs. And then they would slip off where nobody could see them. They were so just zealous about being a Jew and, and, and the fact that nobody should have control over them. See, the Jews believe that God alone is the only one that should have authority over them. They were so zealous about this that they would do anything to try to upset the Roman government or upset the, 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 the rule and authority that the Roman government had over them. So they, they were zealous and even to the point of going so far as to kill Romans who are over in authority over them. So I want you to think about something. We've got Matthew, who's a tax collector. A tax collector is sold out to the Roman government. Am I right? They're the ones they are pairing up with the Roman government to take money from their own people. And then you've got Simon the Zealot on the other end of the spectrum who he hates Roman rule so much that he's on, the, on board with a group of people that will kill them if he comes anywhere in contact with them. One that hates the Romans so bad and one that is sold out to the Romans. And Jesus comes along and they're both on the same team. They are both unified by one message and one desire and one purpose and they say, you know what? We are together. Prior to Jesus, get this. I mean, if you think about it, this would be true. Prior to Jesus, I could see that if Simon ran into Matthew in a dark street corner somewhere, he might have killed him. 
He might have walked up and just slit his throat because he was somebody that had sold out to the Roman rule. He was so passionate about the fact that God alone should have control over the Jewish people. He may have slit his throat. But now, what do we see? We see two men. Two men separated by their circumstances and their previous views, now with one view, and that is the message of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, you know, he, he's, he's leading these men and he sends them out. You know, as a matter of fact, he sends them out and he tells them, he says, hey, <laughs> I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. And they go out in pairs, and they're supposed to cast out demons. Jesus has, uh, has instilled in them the power to be able to cast out demons and to do all kinds of miraculous signs and wonders. And these guys are going out together. I'm not saying that Matthew and Simon, uh, Simon the Zealot went out together, but I'm just saying they're all united in one purpose and one goal. And, and they got to go out together and take on the world. Because Jesus told them, see... They're, they're telling me that my power is from Satan. So when you go out and, and you do all these things in my name, they're going to hate you just like they hate me. And I want you to know that. And I want you to be prepared for that. So what does this mean to us? The transformation that happens when you follow Jesus is not just you being united to Jesus. It's not just you being united to one God and one purpose. It is also you being united as a body connected to others with one, one purpose and one mind and one heart. That's what happens when you really surrender to Jesus. There is not supposed to be a dividing. There is not supposed to be a separation. There is supposed to be a unification and a desire to push forward because Christ is the main thing. Christ is the most important thing. The gospel of Jesus is what matters. If you lose focus of that, you'll let anything and everything come between you. You will end up hating the person sitting next to you. If you let something else come into your life where you forget that your purpose and your goal is the gospel of Christ, it'll tear you apart. It'll tear you apart. I want you to know this. This is the reason that uh, we have to be aware of this. Satan, his MO, his modus operandi, which means like this is what he, he does. This is what he tries to do is to divide and conquer. To divide and conquer. If he can split a church, he can win. If he can split a family, he can win. If he can split a friendship, he can win. Because we're more, more vulnerable, more weak, if we aren't unified together. The people that get destroyed and devoured by a roaring lion are the people that are by themselves. The people that are alone. We can much... We can much better fight off a lion if we're all together than we can as one individual trying to fight off a lion. Am I right? There is power in, in numbers. There is strength in numbers. That you, you've heard that forever. As a body of believers, that's how we're supposed to be. And we will let something come between us. Or even this, even this, because 
we don't want to feel awkward, so therefore we're not going to reach out to those people that have isolated themselves or those people that feel like that they aren't cared about or they aren't loved or nobody even knows that they exist, even within our own church. I'm not saying that you're going to be able to talk to every single person in this building. On Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights, I'm not saying you're going to be able to do that. But we should have our eyes and our hearts open to the people that are, are on the outside looking in. See, the thing about Simon the Zealot, he was next to last on that list I read to you in, in Matthew chapter 10, right next to Judas Iscariot. We know he was an outsider. We know that he betrayed Jesus. We know that his motivation was just to skim from the collections that were taken so he could feed his own ego and his own pride and load his own pockets. He saw Jesus as a means to an end. And Simon the Zealot is right there next to him, next, next to last in the list. But this is what I know. He was a follower of Jesus. And he gave up his old ways, which would have been to kill somebody like Matthew, to go in and be in his brother. That's radical transformation. That's radical transformation. And this is what I know about Matthew. Matthew was called by Jesus to follow him, leaving behind everything, leaving behind his tax collector booth where he would have no stability because somebody else was likely to slip in that spot once he left it. That's radical transformation. And then if you think about it, these two guys together, partnering together, going out as sheep amongst wolves, knowing they're going to come under persecution, knowing they're going to come under attack, they go out to preach the gospel of Jesus. That's what real transformation looks like. So maybe you've got something in you that, that separates you from somebody in this place. Maybe you've got something in you that separates you from another follower of Christ. Is it that big of a deal? Is it an insurmountable obstacle? Is it something you can't overcome? Is it something that really matters more than the gospel of Christ? Is it something that, that you put more stock in than you put stock in the gospel? Now, we can say that all day long. And I can stand up here and you can say, man, there's nothing. There, there's, there's nothing that, that would cause me to do that. There's nothing, man, I'm going to repent and I'm going to be different. We say that in here. And then in about 15 minutes, we're all going to walk out there. And some people are going to go immediately to their cars. Some people are going to walk out of here having never spoken to a single soul. Some people are going to stand in their little huddles and not talk to anybody that they don't know. And that's what's going to happen in 15 minutes. You have a choice. You have a choice right now. To say, yes, that will be me, or no, it will not. You have the same choice on Sunday mornings. You can slip in here at the last minute, after the first song's about halfway done. Slip in the back somewhere. Wait till that song's over, then make your way to your seat. You can do that. God gives us a choice. Is that unifying yourself with the body of believers for the purposes of the gospel? 
Or are you so passionate about the gospel that you're willing to do whatever it takes to unify yourself with other believers so that you guys can accomplish the same goal because there is strength in numbers? 